we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. The most common way people give up power is by thinking they don't have any. Thank you, Alice Walker. I'm Dr. Marilyn Singleton, and welcome to America Out Loud Pulse, always a beat ahead. We live in strange times. Police, physicians, and patients are treated more like criminals, while thieves are given the green light to steal at will. Some activists have even decided that looting is reparations. According to Newsweek magazine, a Chicago Black Lives Matter organizer stated, I don't care if somebody decides to loot a Gucci or Macy's or a Nike, because that makes sure that person eats. That makes sure that person has clothes. That's reparations. Anything they want to take, take it, because these businesses have insurance. They're going to get their money back. My people aren't getting anything. This is crazy. Employees are forbidden from engaging thieves. The higher-ups don't want the liability, the possibility of injury or worse. But the message this sends out to the thieves in waiting out there is come on in for your five-finger discount. Of course, we'll pay higher prices. And more importantly, we lose the the sense of safety and civility in our society. And the police, the police risk their lives daily rather than merely on an Instagram post. The network nightly news should be reporting how often the police perform heroic acts, such as pulling people from cars engulfed in flames or connecting with the community, including having fun with little children of color but the media prefer to relentlessly focus on a few incidents, mainly by bad apples. And when all the facts come out, many times in the police's favor, the story loses its luster. Physicians are afraid to go into pain management for fear of being labeled a pill pusher. They're bullied by medical boards with the specter of losing their licenses. Patients with chronic pain are resorting to getting heroin on the streets rather than be put in government databases. The state of Michigan recently passed a bill that could make the use of wrong pronouns in a manner that makes a person feel threatened or frightened. They want to make that a felony punishable by, guess what, five years in prison or a fine of $10,000, and talk about a nebulous standard, frightened, threatened. It reminds me of the ever-popular non-apology apology. I'm sorry you feel that way. That doesn't say anything, and neither does saying, well, gee, I was frightened. Throw him in jail for five years. But maybe there's hope. The Supreme Court just recently reaffirmed that the government can't compel people to say things they don't believe in. And we'll talk about that case in today's show. And remember, when it comes to medicine and everything else, 
Our bodies and our minds belong to us, not the government. Today, I am so happy that a friend of the show is back, attorney Andy Schlafly, and we're going to discuss some of the recent cases challenging governmental authority in the practice of medicine and so much more. Andy Schlafly is the General Counsel to the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. He received a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering and a Certificate in Engineering Physics. That just makes me sick to think about it. I did terribly in physics, I'll tell you. From Princeton University. After graduating Princeton, Andy briefly worked as a device physicist for Intel then became a microelectronics engineer at the Johns Hopkins University Applied Physics Lab. He then attended Harvard Law School with one of his classmates, the famous Barack Obama. And for two years, Andy was editor of the Harvard Law Review. He is now in private practice and doing great things Welcome to the show. Welcome back, Andy Schlafly. Thank you, Marilyn. It's such an honor to be on your show, and I really loved your introduction there as you touched upon a number of issues today. What exciting times we live in. It's distressing and and sometimes demoralizing, but the future does seem to get better, I think, for most people overall. And I, I do have faith that our country will continue to improve and, and overcome these infringements on our liberty that we see all around us. Well, I sure hope so. Well, let's go back. Last time you were on the show, you talked about the case of Dr. Ruan that had gone to the Supreme Court and AAPS had written a brief in support of this case. And he was a pain management physician. Can you go into the facts of that case and let us know what happened Uh, how the Supreme Court ruled, and then what's happening with the case now. Right, Marilyn. So this went up to the Supreme Court. Dr. Ruan had been sentenced to 20 years in prison for essentially providing patients pain relief, and, and he did a lot of that. He was good at it, and he was very professional, and he and other physicians who pro- provide pain management for patients are being prosecuted and persecuted. And he was an example of that. And there were others as well who received these very long prison sentences after a trial in which the standard for conviction does not really prove that the doctors intended to do anything wrong. And it's a basic principle of criminal law, Maryland, as you know, that if someone is going to be convicted of something with a 20-year prison sentence, there better be some proof that he intended to do something wrong. There has to be a criminal mind. There has to be proof of criminal intent. And this is so fundamental to our uh, justice system, Marilyn. I mean, this predates our country. This goes back hundreds of years, goes back to England and Blackstone and the philosophers, that if you're going to take away a man's liberty or a woman's liberty, you better prove that she really was trying to do something wrong. It wasn't just uh, 
a mistake. It wasn't just a disagreement. It wasn't some kind of misunderstanding. Uh, for this type of prison sentence, now there are some petty crimes where you don't have to prove criminal intent, where the, it's a fine that someone gets slapped with, maybe some uh, traffic offenses or whatever. But what we're talking about here with Dr. Ruan and the other physicians are 20-year prison sentences. And I'm not exaggerating. He Right now, Dr. Ruan sits in prison on a 20-year sentence, and yet there was never any proof that he intended to do anything wrong. Now, this went up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court, by a nine-to-nothing margin, agreed with us, Maryland, and agreed that these physicians who were being locked up for so long for providing pain relief are not getting the proper protection in court. There's not the burden of proof is not being met by the prosecutors. And what the Supreme Court said in this nine to nothing decision, the three of those justices wrote a separate concurrence where they didn't agree with everything, but they pretty much agreed that there does need to be proof of criminal intent. And the criminal intent that must be shown, the court said, is that the doctor knew or should have known that what he was doing was unauthorized. That's the word the Supreme Court used, unauthorized, and it used it repeatedly. There has to be proof before a jury by a prosecutor beyond reasonable doubt that the doctor intended to do something unauthorized when he wrote these prescriptions for pain relief for these patients. And these patients are in great pain. And as your audience will know, as all of us know, when we're in pain, uh, it's excruciating. And it it we we need the relief. Everybody does. And we go to a doctor and, and I'm sure many in your audience have had the experience today of going to a doctor asking for pain relief and, and the doctor says, I'm sorry, I can't give that to you. That's I, right. I'm too, That's I'm too right. Afraid. I'm too afraid of, of the federal government. And isn't that sad? Uh, you know, I think back to, uh, I can't remember the section that was in the Medicare law when it came out in 1965 that said, this law in no way means that the federal government will be practicing medicine. Ha, ha, ha. That's what they're doing now. That's what they're doing. That's exactly right. And We've entered into a, a chapter of our American history, Maryland, where we've got a, a little bit of a police state now, a federal police state, where these federal prosecutors, unfortunately, and many of them are good, but some of them abuse their power. And doctors are easy targets, very easy targets. They'll do a raid on a doctor's office, terrify everyone in the office, and then they'll start cutting plea bargains with the receptionist or the, the office manager or with patients or whoever. And then everyone's anxious to, to sort of cut a deal with the government. And then they go after the doctor. And doctors are often candid. Uh, we've had cases, Maryland, where the doctor will take the witness stand in a case and, and be very candid about the issues. And uh, then the prosecutor used that against them. So doctors are, are sort of trained like scientists to, to have a healthy 
doubt about what they do, to have a healthy questioning of themselves. Well, that doesn't come off well on the witness stand mm-hmm. when the doctor is saying, well, I'm not sure this was right. Yeah, I'm not really sure this was the appropriate prescription here. That's just healthy scientific um, self-analysis is what that is, but it, it doesn't play well in court. So, Which anyway, is too bad. Yeah. yeah. And then we'll go back to you. It's too bad because yeah. you want your doctor to have some self-reflection and to not be really an arrogant prig, P-R-I-G. I didn't say the other word. <laughs> and um, it and it goes against really what people really want. We want people to reflect on the actions they take. But like you say, doctor says that in court can't utter the words, I'm not sure, then suddenly that makes him a bad guy. Right. And so Supreme Court agreed with us, Maryland, and, and they wrote a good decision. Justice Breyer wrote it. He's since retired, but they, he had the support of the other justices. And so then it went back down to the Court of Appeals, and, and several cases were involved in this. And one of the cases went back down to the Tenth Circuit, Now, that sits in Denver, Colorado, and it presides over a number of those western states, not as far west as the Pacific Ocean, but it presides over Colorado and Oklahoma and a a number of those states in between. And they said, we got it. We we got it, Supreme Court. This conviction is reversed. And the prosecutor and district court should look at it again and see if they want to prosecute again. But what they did is fully reversed. That's what the 10th Circuit said. But Dr. Ruan is practicing in Alabama, and that's within the 11th Circuit. That sits in Atlanta. And that circuit governs over Georgia, Alabama, Florida, and and that region of our country. And that is the most pro-prosecution circuit court in the country. I spoke to an attorney once, Marilyn, who had practiced before that 11th Circuit in Atlanta. It's federal, federal court of appeals. And we were handling another appeal, not Dr. Ruan's case. And he had practiced many years. And I said to him, this case looks pretty strong. I think we got a chance of, of winning this for the defendant. And his response to me after practicing many years before the 11th Circuit is to say, if there is a reversal of the conviction here by the 11th Circuit, it will be the first reversal I've seen in my entire career. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And so I checked that out for the amicus brief that I wrote. And sure enough, the 11th Circuit is by far the most pro-prosecution court in the country. It affirms convictions at a much higher rate than average, and that it will actually, the reversals it does is when a district court does a downward departure on the sentence. So there's sentencing guidelines, and there'll be upward departures and downward departures. And someone studied this and said, that, you know, the t- when the 11th Circuit reverses, it's when the trial judge does a downward departure on a sentence. That's when they reverse. They send it back and say, no, give them a a stronger sentence. (laughs) That's when the circuit reverses. It's just beyond belief. So that's where Dr. Ruan, unfortunately, lives within that circuit. And this case went back down to him. Now, when the Supreme Court reverses, and when they reverse nine to nothing, 
that's like an earthquake. Should be. Should be like an earthquake. That should be like, listen, not only did you get it wrong, you got it wrong badly. And don't even go in that direction again. But the 11th Circuit, they got this on remand, and they said, oh, no, we're going to affirm most of his convictions. We're gonna, we're gonna, we looked at this again. We read what the Supreme Court said, and we're going to uphold most of his convictions. So basically, he continues to sit in prison for 20 years. And a very good attorney who's handling this for Dr. Ruan, he, he looked at it. He sh- shook his head, I guess, proverbially, and, and said, we got to go back to the Supreme Court a second time. Now, that's very unusual, very unusual to go back to the Supreme Court a second time in the same case. It does happen. I mean, there are instances of that. But he said, we just have no choice because the 11th Circuit refused to apply this standard of requiring proof that a doctor knew his prescription was unauthorized when he wrote it, his prescription for pain relief. And the attorney for Dr. Ruan wrote an excellent petition, filed it about a month ago, I did another amicus brief on it and put it in there, and we're trying again. We're trying again and want to get the Supreme Court to say, essentially, we really meant what we said the last time. (laughs) Please follow it. Uh, Instead, what these lower courts are following, Maryland, is a confusing regulatory standard. And so part of this is how the, the regulators have taken over almost every corner of our life in America here. And the regulators had their own standard. Well, was this outside the normal course of a physician's practice? That's what they want the standard to be. Well, that doesn't work. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, every physician sees an unusual case from time to time and and does unusual prescriptions, has to, to uphold the oath of Hippocrates that a physician took in order to do what's best for every patient. And there are unusual patients. There There is unusual pain. So to to use a standard, well, was this outside the, the ordinary course of a physician's practice, that, that's going to basically mean every physician in this country is guilty. And that's, that can't be right. Well, we'll keep our eyes peeled, as we say, to see what happens in this case, because it's so important. And after the break, we're going to talk about the FDA as an example of regulations run amok, and how the FDA has suddenly become your doctor. Right now, I just want to talk about Cofix RX. You've heard me talk about this before. This is a nasal spray, a nasal spray with iodine and some xylitol. Both of these things are antiviral. And just because the COVID scare is thank goodness, pretty much over. We still get colds and other viruses and germs that pop around, and especially in summer, you know, everybody seems to get that summer cold. Well, Cofix RX works in the nose. You spray it up your nose, and it kills these little creeps before it can get down to your lungs where you can get sick, more sick than just the sniffles. And you have to think of it kind of like an airbag in a car. It reduces the impact and nothing's 100%, but it certainly helps you from getting terribly ill. And as you know, most of these viruses come through our nose. So 
stop in its tracks in the first couple days, and hopefully you will stay healthy. Many doctors and pharmacists recommend Cofix RX. And one of the things that I love about it is it was invented in the USA and it's made in the USA. So what could be better than that? You can find it at health food stores and offices and pharmacies, and you can find it right on our website. We have a little button on our page, click it on and um, read more about it. Hopefully you'll like it. I like it. I use it after I've gone out in crowds. I don't even wait to get sick. So give it a try. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. Before the break, we were talking about the regulatory state that uh, has really, it's come upon the whole country. And of course, I talk about medicine a lot, but we talk about other things as well. We've got a couple cases that, as I told Andy before the show started, they're about ivermectin. And it's kind of like the COVID scare is over, but people seem to keep on, excuse the expression, beat the dead horse of ivermectin. And uh, I likened it to the Trump derangement syndrome that they won't give up on it. And I think they don't give up on it because there's an element of this country that loves to be regulated, but that's not us. So we had a couple of ivermectin cases out there. Can you tell us what happened with those, Andy? Unfortunately, Marilyn, there were a number of cases where we won. That's the good news at the trial court level where the judge ordered hospitals to stop interfering with prescriptions with ivermectin for COVID patients in the hospital. Believe it or not, hospitals were blocking those prescriptions from COVID patients in those hospitals. And a number of cases, we were successful with some help of some good attorneys to get a judge to order hospitals to allow those prescriptions to be filled and given to the patient. But then all the hospitals appealed those cases. And even though the patient has long recovered, or if he didn't get the ivermectin, some of those patients died in the hospital. But even though those those issues all, were all over, the hospitals pursued appeals on all these to try to establish the authority of a hospital to block 
prescriptions of ivermectin for patients in those hospitals. And the most recent one went before the Wisconsin Supreme Court, even though it's, it's long past the patient recovering from the ivermectin and getting out of the hospital. The hospital continued to fight it, and the Wisconsin Supreme Court ruled a few months ago that, yes, hospitals can block prescriptions for a safe medication like ivermectin from being received by patients in that hospital. And this is just mind-boggling, even to those of us who practice in this area, that hospitals now have the authority to essentially imprison the patients who are in their hospitals and prevent safe medications from being prescribed for them and being taken by them as long as they are in the hospital. And as I said in my amicus brief to the Wisconsin Supreme Court, the hospital should post a sign on its door that if you come in here, be warned that we can block medications from being taken by you however we like, and that you will not be able to receive medications while you're in this hospital, even though it's been safe for decades, even though everybody outside the hospital's taking ivermectin and doing well with it. As long as you're in this hospital, we can prevent you from receiving these medications. And the Wisconsin Supreme Court agreed with the hospital and held with just one dissent that, yes, indeed, hospitals have this authority to block and interfere with ivermectin treatment of patients while they're in the hospital. So you're asking yourself in the audience there, wow, I mean, what is this like being in a prison? And yeah, I guess it is. Uh, but you do have the right that a lot of people don't recognize. But when you're in a hospital, you have a right to get up and walk out against medical advice. Now, hospitals will lie to patients about that and say if they do that, they'll lose their insurance or this and that. Uh, they'll do everything they can to try to talk you out of doing that. But you have a right to do that. Now, in some cases, you may be so sick that if you do that, you're going to lose the IV in your arm or you're going to lose the ventilator that you're on or whatnot. So I can't give you medical advice to do that. But I'll tell you, there are some people during COVID who ran up against this roadblock of a hospital and they just stood up and walked out. You know, there's a um, movie on Netflix. It's a true story of a young girl who was basically a prisoner at the Johns Hopkins Satellite Hospital in Florida. And they kept her and wouldn't allow her to get ketamine, which she was taking for uh, something called CRPS. It's a, it's a nerve pain syndrome. An anesthesiologist who is qualified to give ketamine, qualified in pain management, had given it to her. And for the first time, the girl was improving and didn't have pain. When she went to the hospital, they took it away. And uh, it's a very tragic story. Uh, fortunately, the girl is still living, but they're suing the hospital for some of the various things that occurred. I won't give it away in case someone sees the movie. But uh, what you're saying 
somebody might think sounds, oh, come on, don't be so far-fetched, don't use terms like prisoner. And then you see this other aspect, and, and people call it medical kidnapping. And generally, it's children because they decide the parents have Munchausen syndrome by proxy. That's where you pretend your child is sick to get attention. And that's what they decided the mother had. And uh, it was all to the child's detriment. Well, the same thing is happening to adults. COVID, it probably had happened with other medications and other things. But of course, COVID brought it out and brought it to the surface. But it is sad that these cases turned out the way you just presented. It is sad. And I had an experience a number of years ago with a relative who was taken by an ambulance to a different hospital from where his doctor had privileges. And, and ambulances will have agreements with hospitals to route patients to certain hospitals. So if you call 911 and you're at home and you think you're going to go to one hospital, ambulance comes out and you may find you go to a different hospital because of some secret arrangement between the ambulances and the hospital. And then you get in that other hospital and your doctor doesn't have privileges there. So then you're you're suddenly you're seen by strange doctors and they, they really are tyrannical. But this problem has really been going on for a while. And as you say, Marilyn, it just kind of came to publicity with COVID. But this has been a worsening problem for a long time. If you go back 50 years or 100 years, hospitals were mostly institutions of charity. A lot of them were religious, and they were there to basically serve the community. But today, most hospitals are profit-making enterprises. Now, they may be nonprofit in terms of taxes, but that's really even worse. It means they don't even pay taxes, and they're there maximizing their profits, and their executives are making three, five, ten million million, a year, and they're basically looting the community. And uh, they get tyrannical as they do that. They get abusive. And so everyone needs to uh, become more educated and informed about what a hospital is and what it is not. And it is not a place of charity anymore for the most part. There are some exceptions. And, and so you get down to rural areas, I'm sure the hospitals are, are much more reasonable. But as you get into urban centers, uh, you'll find these hospitals are, are worse sharks than some of the worst businesses in the country and get stuck in there, uh, beware. Well, it's interesting that so many times the big university hospitals are right in the middle of a big city, many times on the edge of underprivileged neighborhoods. And I think a lot of it, they get away with these things because these people aren't savvy about medicine and the business of medicine, and they don't know who to complain to, even if they have complaints. There's a very small group of people that actually know what goes on in the healthcare system with insurance, with the hospitals, uh, the whole, it's called AMA, Against Medical Advice, all, and what informed consent really is. So few people really know, so they can just get away with it. That's exactly right, Marilyn. It, it, we're all taught to uh, defer to authority, and we're not, uh, except you are, Marilyn, you're highly <laughs> informed. 
But most of the rest of us, uh, we just don't know when when a, someone's wearing a white coat and they, they say certain things and we just we just don't really have the medical expertise. And so we just sort of defer to that. And, and then you realize that uh, later that uh, the hospital was making extra money by giving one diagnosis rather than the other. I had a friend who was in her 90s and she goes to the hospital. This was in South Dakota. And they tell her she has COVID. And so we're all in panic for two weeks because she was diagnosed as having COVID. And then someone told us the, the hospital got an extra $15,000 every time they tell somebody that. And she didn't have COVID at all. She had none of the symptoms and, and did fine. But we were all worried about it for two weeks. And, well, the hospital got some extra money for doing that. So. Well, it's like the flu suddenly disappeared. And, you know, that's that was what was somewhat suspicious, that the numbers of the flu went way, way down. And it's like, well, it's COVID, some antidote to the flu. No, I think it's a diagnostic antidote to the flu. Oh, so, well, there's a couple of other cases that haven't gone to the Supreme Court, but they were lower courts. There's one that caught my eye because I've had several shows on what's going on and oh golly this is a whole show but transgenderism and what it means and the harm it's doing to kids and then there's the whole global issue of what is happening that's making everybody suddenly be transgender but we'll just keep it to the core case that wasn't there a case about minors and transgender treatment Yes, Maryland. And so Tennessee passed a good law prohibiting treatments and surgeries on minors to change their gender from boy to girl or girl to boy. They're minors. They can't really consent to that. And there's some exceptions to the law. If their treatment had already been going on before the law was passed, they're allowed to continue it and so on. But it's basically to protect the children of Tennessee, and about 20 states have passed similar laws, roughly the, the number of red states in this country, whereas the blue states, the more democratic states, have gone in the other direction on this. Uh, judges in about six of those cases have struck down the laws, and one of those invalidations of the law was in Tennessee, and then that went up on appeal to the Sixth Circuit, which is, this is the first case that's reach the U.S. Court of Appeals. The Sixth Circuit sits in Cincinnati and presides over Tennessee, Kentucky, Michigan, and Ohio. And a two-to-one panel of the Sixth Circuit issued a ruling on Saturday, which is unusual, but things are happening very quickly in the court system these days uh, on these hot-button issues, Maryland. And they rendered a decision affirming the Tennessee law for now, reinstating it. It was to go into effect July the 1st. So that ban in Tennessee has been re reinstated by a two-to-one decision. And I'll tell you, Marilyn, the, the decision is not very strong. Uh, seems very apologetic. They're like, well, we're not sure. We're not sure. But for now, we're going to let the law go into effect. And the momentum seems to be on the side of the transgender movement. And part of that's coming from the law schools, to tell you the truth, Marilyn. It's the law schools embraced this whole transgender agenda a couple of years ago. 
And that's where the clerks come from, and that's where the seminars are held, and that's where the judges want to be respected in the law schools. And the law schools, particularly the elite law schools, are 100% in support of doing operations and treatments on minors to try to change their gender. And this fight is far from over. And I'll tell you one thing the Sixth Circuit did, although they held in favor of the Tennessee law, they cited the FDA nine times on this issue, nine times. The judges who were on the right side of this issue and against doing operations on kids, they looked to the FDA for direction. And they said, well, the FDA has not approved any transgender treatments. Well, not yet, (laughs) but they sure will soon. And the FDA is not a medical authority. I don't know how to to educate the judges. Every brief I file that relates to the FDA, I say that again and again. The FDA is not a medical authority. It never has been. It never will be. And yet here are these judges deferring to the FDA, Food and Drug Administration. It seems like that there's no end to it. And the FDA is not our friend. I think many of us, again, who follow this sort of thing daily, see the revolving door that the FDA has. People who have worked for the drug companies, work for FDA, they retire from the FDA, they go work on the board of a drug company. Talk about conflict of interest. I don't even know how we can even decide to trust the FDA anymore. And that's really a bad sign to me that that's what the judges relied upon. They didn't, did they discuss that there's not a lot of research that has gone on in this area? That up until now, before it became, it seems like almost trendy that there weren't that many transgender children anyway. So there's not a lot of research in that arena to even know the long-term effects, even some short-term effects. And and uh, from what I've seen, there's so many um, uh, incidents where some of these kids have other mental issues. It's not the gender thing, it's autism and severe depression for other reasons. And so they're making, mutilating their bodies, the treatment for something else. So it's it's a big medical problem. And it's, it's one area you hate to see these things run by courts. But when it comes out in a good way, you think, well, thank goodness for the courts. But you hate the judges to be practicing medicine, too. For right now, I just want to thank everyone for listening to America Out Loud Pulse. As you know, we are always a beat ahead. You can hear Pulse every weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern with an encore at 10 p.m. and on iHeartRadio at 8 a.m. the next morning. All shows go direct to podcast in 24 hours. The episodes are on lots of podcast networks, Apple, Spotify, Pandora, TuneIn, Stitcher, and iHeart. So make it easy. Bookmark AmericaOutloud.com forward slash pulse. 
One of the best things about Pulse is that it's a different doctor every day. Mondays, it's me, Marilyn Singleton. Tuesdays, we've got Dr. Jordan Vaughn and Dr. Stuart Tangersley. Wednesdays, we have Dr. Peter McCulloch. Thursdays, Peter Bregan and Ginger Ross Bregan. And Fridays with Dr. Harvey Reich. And we've got Nurses Out Loud Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern with their encore at 10 p.m. in the evening. So, plenty of medical stuff out there. Thank you for listening. Check us all out. America Out Loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. Well, we know you because we are you. AmericaOutloud.com. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order, risk-free. Love it or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. Before we get back to some big cases that made all the news, and this is one that should be bigger news, is wasn't there some sort of injunction against Biden for his cozy relationship with social media? Can you tell us about that? There was, Marilyn. So on July the 4th, which of course is a national holiday, a courageous federal district judge in Louisiana, Terry Doughty, issued an injunction against the Biden administration, stopping them from communicating and bossing around and influencing and ordering social media to censor certain material. So the judge said to Biden, and all his lackeys there in the Biden administration, stop it, knock it off, stop telling social media what to do. Now that's Facebook, Twitter, and so on. And the Biden administration was pretending they weren't really doing this. We, I led a lawsuit against the Biden administration against their disinformation governance board, which they disbanded. And they're, they've been sort of saying, we don't really do this. We don't really do this. Well, the, the judge on July the 4th, that's just last week, said, you're going to stop doing it. Well, if they weren't doing it, Marilyn, then they should have been just fine with stopping doing what they weren't doing. But <laughs> instead, this has set off a firestorm where the Biden administration immediately appealed this within, I think, 24 hours. They went running back to the same judge asking him to stay his ruling, which means suspend the injunction. 
to allow the Biden administration to continue to influence social media. The judge said, no, I'm not staying it. And he's a courageous man. And he he said, I meant what I said. Stop it. You're enjoined from doing it. Now, he has exceptions. Maybe listeners out there thinking, well, what if there's some national security risk? And that's what they always run to. That That's what the 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 deep state always runs to that. Oh, we need to protect our national security. You can't tell us what to do. We're here defending everybody 24-7, 365 days a year against these vast foreign threats. But the judge said, no, I'm not going to prevent you from talking to social media if it's an issue that's actually related to national security. You can talk to them about that. So if there's some sort of threat that's on social media to our national security, Biden can call up Zuckerberg or Elon Musk and say, take it down. But that's not really what Biden administration was doing, of course. What they were doing is they were having all sorts of other things taken down off of social media, things relating to COVID policy, things relating to elections and so on. That's what Biden administration was doing. And so the Biden administration, after losing before this courageous federal judge, they have now gone to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. That's the layer just below the Supreme Court and asked, really demanded that the Fifth Circuit suspend this injunction. And again, the Biden administration has made the same arguments that they have to do their job to protect our country and this and that. And this injunction gets in our way of doing that. Well, they just filed that this week. And I'm watching the docket, Marilyn, and there's something going on that docket every day now. The Fifth Circuit, as of a few minutes ago, had not set a schedule for it. But I, I saw something I've never seen before where the Biden administration seems to be requesting a ruling on this within two weeks. And that's how arrogant the federal government has become, Maryland. It, it really, it gets worse every year where the federal government is so arrogant in telling judges what to do, telling social media what to do, saying all of us can do. And they, they really feel that they don't have to answer to anybody anymore. That they really they feel they don't have to answer to the law. They don't have to answer to the First Amendment. This is a First Amendment issue because social media are private platforms and they should not be controlled by the government. This is not a communist country where the not government yet. dictates what the newspaper says, what the television airs and so on. That's not the United States of America. It never has been. And yet the Biden administration is trying to get that power where they can basically call up uh, whoever's running Facebook at the time or Twitter or Google or YouTube, call them up and say, take this down. Now, they're usually not quite that direct. And what they'll do, and there's examples of this that the court has cited is the Biden administration was calling up YouTube or whatever and saying, well, do you really intend to allow this kind of stuff to be out there on your platform? I mean, what, what sort of standards do you have for allowing this? And they'll ask sort of a, a pointed question like that that basically scares everybody to death, that if if the whoever's working for YouTube at the time, they get the message, if they don't take it down, they're going to be problems 
with the federal government. Who knows? They may get a visit by the FBI. They may get raided. They may get their immunity repealed. So pretty much social media has been doing whatever the Biden administration or Adam Schiff in Congress or some of these other liberal congressmen have, have wanted them to do. And, and a lot of this related to COVID policy, but it goes beyond that. We got an election coming up and it, this would get into some of the election related issues. And do we have free speech in this country or not, Marilyn? Well, you speaking of free speech, that's one good Supreme Court case that came out. This was the case 303 Creative. And that was a case out of Colorado about a woman who was a website designer who kind of preemptively wanted to know whether she had to design websites for gay weddings, which by her religion, she didn't believe in. And that case was positive for the First Amendment, that the court decided that the First Amendment was protecting freedom to think as you will and to speak as you think. And this was forcing her to write words that she did not believe in. Now, of course, that one wasn't unanimous. <laughs> that one was six to three. You can guess which which six and which three. And that but, was a big win for freedom of speech. That is the first time on that kind of an issue where freedom of speech has won. There was a whole string of victories by the other side on that issue. And what's interesting, Marilyn, is in the old days, liberals were advocates to freedom of speech. If you go back to the Vietnam War era, it's liberals who wanted more freedom of speech, but not today. Not today. Liberals seem to want to control speech. And this was the first time that they lost a case of that magnitude. So maybe that's a, a positive sign that we'll get more wins like that. We'll get a decision out of the Fifth Circuit this month on whether the Biden administration should be enjoined. And, and I'll tell you, the Biden administration has already said to the Fifth Circuit that we're going to take this to the Supreme Court if we don't win here. And pretty brazen that they would tell an appellate court that, that, that there will be an appeal if the Biden administration does not get what it wants. So this will be in the news, everyone. And, and this is really the hottest case of this month. And we'll travel very quickly with a decision by the Fifth Circuit soon. And then if it goes against the Biden administration, the Supreme Court will have to deal with it. And I would hope that the Supreme Court, on the heels of this free speech ruling they just made, Marilyn, as you described, I would hope they'd rule in favor of freedom of speech again and recognize that if the president of the United States really needs to, to try to tell social media to shut something down, they can go in and, and seek an exception to the injunction. They know how to file an emergency motion. They even can do it under seal and secret. They know how to do that if there really is a need to, to censor something. But again, all these issues that they're really censoring are not issues that the government should be intermeddling in, what people say. We believe in the marketplace of ideas, Marilyn, and let free speech happen, and we believe that the truth will rise to the top if no one's interfering with it. And government, least of all, should be interfering with freedom of speech. 
Absolutely. Well, we've got something else that's a positive that came out of the Supreme Court. This was the Biden case about college loans. And they found against the president that he didn't have the authority that he kind of pulled from some tiny sentence in the HEROES Act that was supposed to be about veterans to stop payments on college loans for people under, I can't remember what the, um, how much he had to make, but it was a lot of money you could still make and be relieved of these college loans. And it was $430 billion that would have been canceled. So uh, they found against Biden and saying he didn't have the authority to do that. It's a legislative thing to, excuse me, to deal with money. That's right, Marilyn. And it it came out under major questions doctrine, which is a a new doctrine. It has roots that go back a couple decades, but it's getting a lot of airplay now that if there's a major question like this, and $400 billion is certainly a major question. Student loans, by the way, are approaching now $2 trillion in debt. It's twice as much as the credit card debt that people have. And there's no end in sight with this student loan debt. Well, this is a major question that Congress needs to address rather than simply the president using the pen on his desk, signing some executive order and wiping out $400 billion. Uh, No, this is something that should be debated in Congress with hearings the pros and cons of forgiving this sort of debt, uh, where this is going. That's part of this issue, Maryland, is it's not just the current debt, but college expenses continue to rise. And that's because it's getting paid for by somebody else. Right. It seems to go hand in hand. The more loans, the higher the tuition. Right. So we've got people who are getting college degrees going into enormous debt, And then there are no jobs. There are no jobs that enable them to pay that off. They end up getting jobs at Walmart, and there's nothing wrong with that. But you you don't need a college degree to be a greeter at Walmart. And and so everybody, all of us, can do more to learn on our own. You know, we can learn for free by seeing what's on the Internet, buying books, whatever, going to the library. I mean, we should all be educating ourselves constantly. I'm very pro-education. But this massive debt with these college expenses and tuition just rising rights. We have the, in a, here in New Jersey, Maryland, we have the most expensive high school in the country, $71,000 a year in tuition. $71,000 for high school, for high school, $71,000 a year. And there's just, there's no end to it. So Congress should hold hearings and, and look at this and address it. It's not something for Biden just to, to try to curry favor with young voters before election time, which seems to be what he was doing before the midterm elections. He was just trying to curry favor with young well, voters. It's also is- a bad mindset. One, it gets you more dependent on the government. And two, it tells you, well, if you can't meet your obligations, tough noogies, we'll just take care of it for you. We're supposed to be teaching kids to be responsible not to just say, eh, let somebody else take care of it. Right. 
Well, there's one more case we have time for. We just have a couple of minutes, and I have to uh, mention this one. I think everybody's heard that the Supreme Court shut down affirmative action. When Chief Justice Robert wrote the opinion, he said there's a simple question. May a university make admissions decisions on the basis of race? And he said it's a resounding no People have been worried about affirmative action for years. It's it's psychological consequences to the recipients, um, the educational consequences to the people who weren't accepted, even though they had better grades. And as far as I'm concerned, and I say this as a Black woman who went to school before affirmative action, that it's demeaning to decide that just because a person is Black, they're going to add diversity to the college campus. That's a stereotype. All Black people don't think alike. And there's a big difference between a rich Nigerian Black person and a Black person who comes from an underprivileged neighborhood in the United States. So to me, it was the ultimate in racism to just say, you're Black, we'll just pop a Black face on the campus, it'll make us look good, and everybody will see a Black person running around. Well, that has nothing to do with any kind of diversity of thought or diversity of people. And it's a real step forward to us treating people as individuals, by their character, not the color of their skin. So that's my two cents on the Supreme Court. And we're down to two seconds, Andy. How does it go so fast is what I want to know. Oh, Marilyn, you know so much about the law and medicine and the intersection of those two fields. It's such a joy just to hear you explain these issues. I don't know if your audience knows what a tremendous career you've had in both law and medicine, and that's very unusual. So I just want to let your audience know that Marilyn, what she brings to the table here is extraordinary to be both an accomplished attorney and an accomplished physician. Oh, Andy, you should be talking about yourself. I marvel at you. Anybody who does physics (laughs) and then goes into law I it just I always thought about those people who went into patent law, how they said to go into patent law, you had to major in some sort of science. And they were always the biggest eggheads in law school. Well, you're the biggest egghead of them all. But, <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> but you do explain these cases and the court system and all in a way that I think people can understand and people are listening all over the country. So he named the circuits and So you keep an eye on what circuit you're in, and they do have certain trends, and uh, Andy pointed those out. So we're going to have you back again, and I'm assuming you'll say yes and come back. Absolutely. I'd love to come back, Marilyn. Okay. Thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you. And to everybody out there, Thank you for listening to America Out Loud Pulse. Whether you agree or have other opinions, please share the show. Thanks again again for listening. And until next week, say it loud. I'm free and I'm proud.